Welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. My name is James. And I'm CJ. And this is the only podcast we were hoping for a philosophical debate, but all we got is yes. And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode of the 2005 Doctor Who revival. And this week, we are tackling corrupt news media and poor pacing in the long game. But before we get into that, how's your week been, James? Uh, it's not been too bad. You know, ISO life continues to be pretty much the same thing it's been every week that we've had to talk about it. Um, but, you know, on the plus side, still getting a lot of writing done. I'm platinuming Bloodborne, which is just super exciting on my end. Uh, what about you? Yeah, so it's sort of similar. Uh, been very domestic lately, but uh, preparing to head back into the real world. Our office is going back this week, so I'm making my grand entrance back into public life. Society has missed you. <laughs> Thank you very much for saying so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a strange time at the moment because I had to go and do some shopping in the city the other day and just heading down there and being around people again was such a strange anxiety, like spiking event that I didn't really picture coming because this whole time I've just been like, oh, I can't wait for ISO life to finish. And we can get back out into the world. And every time I've sort of had to venture back out into the world, it just makes me really sort of stressed at this point. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um and because it's become the new normal, we have to, we, we've we've gone through the whole process of adapting to what it's like now. And then we have to now go back. This it's it, this all is like first world problems, really. Um, but it's our yeah, current we, reality. We are very fortunate. Yeah, we're very fortunate that, you know, we haven't been sort of ultra negatively impacted by what's been going on with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but still, it's I feel like it's an emotional reality that a lot of people are just dealing with at the moment. And um, yeah, look, we're all getting through it together, though. Yes, but there is one saving grace, one bit of light on the end, at the end of the tunnel, which is the return of our, you and my favourite uh, pop sensation, Carly Rae Jepsen. That's it, she is back. She has dropped dedicated side B and it just feels like our duty to talk about it. It does, it does. Um, uh, you know, we like Doctor Who, don't get us wrong. We obviously do this podcast and um, talk about Doctor Who every week. But we have other interests and we do love our Carly. And so it's just such a joy that she's back and giving us life uh, with dedicated side B. It's it's just a nice bit of light at the moment. You know, if, if you need something to cheer you up a little bit, to perk you up, she streamed Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> <laughs> this hasn't been a paid advertisement, just so you know. Although, Miss Jepsen, if you're listening, twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. We are open to the chat. We certainly are. But in Doctor Who news, uh, pivoting back towards this podcast, we have a couple of news stories that have come out in the last week. Um, The biggest of which is probably the announcement of uh, an audio drama called Masterful, which will for the first time unite all of the living masters uh, in audio, in an audio adventure. The cover art is beautiful if you haven't seen it. We'll put a link in the show notes. And it sounds like an interesting premise for a uh, adventure with all of the masters um they are notoriously duplicitous so obviously it's going to play on that so that's been that's an interesting development uh, on the doctor who news front the other thing that's come out over the last couple of days is a i don't want to say a doctor reunion video because none of the actual actors who played the doctor are in it um but rather there are impersonators doing voice impersonations of the doctor in a 15 minute um adventure i guess um for lack of a better word and 
I personally haven't actually listened to it yet, so I don't know what it's like, um, but I know that people online have lots of opinions as they want to do. Shocking. I never would have imagined people <laughs> online would have opinions about Doctor Who. That's out of this world. Uh, yeah, it, it looks um, like it, it's cute seeing all the, mas- uh, all the masters, sorry, all the doctors together this way, uh, having Jodie Whittaker just smack bang in the middle there amongst this just sea of white men is, is definitely <laughs> an interesting image. I'll, I'll say that much. It certainly puts things into perspective for maybe the history of the show. Um, but yeah, I, I also haven't listened to it. This isn't particularly my brand of Doctor Who. I, I like the show and that's kind of about it. But, you know, for those that are interested, we will put a link in the description so you go, uh, you folks can check it out. Yeah. Um, I, and I agree also with you, James. It's not, I'm much more interested in the show itself as opposed to certain spin-off medias. And then this is like not even a spin-off of it. It's This is just a funny little footnote, really. Um, but in where we are in a, in a culture where Doctor Who currently isn't on air um, and won't be for a very long time, it is nice to have these things to tide us through the very dark period of COVID. But that's, that's all about the Doctor Who news we've got for this week. So... I suppose we should go on to the long game. The fourth great and bountiful human empire, planet Earth at its height. Something's wrong. My watch must be wrong. It's what comes to showing off. Your history's not as good as you thought it was. My history's perfect. Well, obviously not. I can taste it. Engage safety. Someone down the there. The game is the here. seventh episode of the 2005 Doctor Who revival, directed by Brian Grant and written by Russell T. Davies. The long game is, um, it's an interesting one. It it certainly has a bit of a reputation amongst the fans. Um, CJ and I, in our brief chat before we started recording, it has already developed a bit of a reputation between the (laughs) two of us. But before we dive too deeply into that, we're going to check in with our good old friend IMDB plot synopsis. In the year 200,000, the Doctor discovers that a satellite with a dark secret is controlling humanity and slowing its development. These synopsises are getting much better. That's, that's... That's the that's the episode. <laughs> I mean, that is that is the episode. I mean, listeners, we've talked about plot light episodes before. This is this is plot light, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not supposed to be either, which is part of the problem. But we'll get to that. We will, we will. So, as always, let's kick things off with just um, I guess general impressions. How did, CJ? How do you feel about the long game? So, the long game. It's funny that you say it has a reputation because I'd almost argue it, it has no reputation because no one remembers <laughs> it. At- <laughs> um, when you have a season of behemoths um, such as The Empty Child and Dalek and the finale, um, it's the first revival of the like. Of, it's the first season of the revival. This episode is just sort of like forgotten, which is interesting because of how much it sets up for our finale and yet doesn't in any way signpost that in any kind of significant terms. Rewatching it the, for the first time uh, in such a long time, I was curiously optimistic about it, and I quite enjoyed the ride, but then it's like an eggshell. Like, it just shatters. It's, like, so, so fragile. And once the minute you, like, think about the episode as a whole, it, it just falls to pieces. Um, and so once I started to give it a second, I was like, no. No, uh, this isn't as good as I first thought it was. So not good is my first impression. What about you? 
All right, so for, I guess, a bit of insight for the listeners, the way that I try to watch these episodes before we record is I tend to do a, a first rewatch where, you know, I put my phone down. I just try to get emotionally lost in the journey of the episode. I don't take notes. I don't try to overthink anything. I just, I let it, you know, it takes me away, you know? Mm. Um, and so I, I tried to do that with this episode and it just was profoundly bored the whole time. I, I had such a hard time engaging with this on um, emotional, intellectual levels at all. And then the second watch came around where, you know, I, I do my research, I, I read the TARDIS wiki, you know, I sort of try to uh, piece together a, a real profile for the episode. And I got about halfway through and I'd only taken like a handful of notes. And I, I just, basically what it boils down to is that this is one of the, the lightest episodes that I've maybe ever encountered of Doctor Who. There is ostensibly so much going on, but there's actually not anything going on is kind of where I land on it because it does attempt to tackle a wide variety of, of social issues and commentaries and parodies and whatnot. Um, but in turn, by trying to do all of that, it's the problem of, you know, why does an ocean deep as a puddle kind of thing? <laughs> That's a, and I, I like that a lot, actually. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. There is a veneer of plot. That sounds so harsh, but that's how I feel. Is there's like a veneer of plot, and yet everything just everything in this episode motors along without any thought or care given to why any of this is happening, and that's such a crucial error in an episode that I think um, quite nicely is deciding to tackle the corrupt news me- like the the corruptness of news media and the unthinking repetition of news without any kind of critical eye that's such a good that's good fodder for an episode but it's just so boring (laughs) (laughs) um and i'm trying to reconcile my first experience watching it where i was really quite enjoying it with the second time and i think what was happening that first viewing was it was just sheer novelty because i hadn't seen it in forever um and so that element of nostalgia was playing in the back of my head for watching this episode for the first time since it went out in 2005. But yeah, like I said before, that that immediately dissolved when I gave it like a moment's thought. Yeah, that's exactly it. I This was one of the few episodes that I had absolutely no memory of at all from when I first watched this show back in 2005. And I mean, honestly, on, on, on rewatch now, I can definitely understand why. Uh, it's... It's just a, and look, I know that I've described a lot of episodes and a lot of individual moments in this season as frustrating. Uh, but whereas if you look at something like Aliens of London and World War Three, I found those to be frustrating, at least on an engaging level, let's say. There was, there was some meat for me to really like sink my teeth into and try to figure out why it wasn't working. And I look at something like The Long Game and I'm, I'm frustrated with it because it should have so much for me to pull apart. And yet when you actually sit down and, and try to look at its components and figure out exactly where it went wrong, you, you kind of, you put, you lay it all out in front of you and you realize it's only gone wrong because every one of these pieces is just, it. it's just a bit of an unexplored nothing. It's, it's lip service to plot and to theme as opposed to actual plot and theme. It's almost like, um, it reminds me of like video walkthroughs of like video games where like, you're not in control. You're just watching things happen and everything just happens without any rhyme or reason. And then it's over and 
and you're sat there wondering, well, I know that I know that was a Doctor Who episode because I had a villain and it had a plot and a mystery, but it was never satisfying. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, there is, yeah, there was like a moment halfway through where I was kind of like, wait, why is any of this happening? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I didn't understand motivations for any of the characters. I barely understood the actual functionality of the world that Russell T. Davies was trying to set up here. And it's frustrating because frustrating is a word that's going to come up a lot in this episode, <laughs> folks. So strap in for that one. It's frustrating because Russell T Davies is very good at world building most of the time if you look at something like the end of the world where again very little plot set on a space station hovering over earth you know it it was a very similar kind of setup in that there wasn't a huge amount going on but that episode was immensely engaging because it was uh, very much steeped in character work and then some really fascinating sort of lore and and world building stuff and in this episode it's like he's just run in the complete opposite direction where it's all the aesthetic of a world without any real character work going on at all and this is something that we're going to get to in a little bit but we both agreed before we chatted that it's very difficult to recall anything Rose actually says or does in this episode Mm. the doctor himself has has very little going on it's a very Adam heavy episode and we'll get to Adam (laughs) um But it's just, we're going to sound very negative on this one. Mm. And I, I, I genuinely hope that it doesn't come across as vitriolic because I'm not mad at this episode. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> um, spoken like a true parent. <laughs> yes, I think so. I think, yeah, I don't want any of our discussion to come across as negative or unreasonably mean. I think we've had a long think about it, this episode and um, all of the the flaws and the critical discussion of it is is not without reason. You bring up an interesting parallel by mentioning the end of the world, James. And I do, yeah, I want to just pivot back to that because this episode in a lot of ways, I think is trying to be a mirror to that episode by comparing Rose's first journey in the TARDIS with Adam's. And so you you get the very clear kind of parallel with that very first scene set on the observation deck, which very, very, very closely mirrors uh, Rose's first, like, look at Earth. The difference being, obviously, that when Rose stepped out onto that station uh, observation deck and looked out on Earth, there was an awe-inspiring speech and there was music swelling behind it and it was a, a moment of... Um, supposed beauty this world that adam is now being taken to is not that it's heavily industrialized it's just a dirty kind of world and the doctor's speech is not as inspiring as it was previously for rose adam gets a bit of a raw deal in his first journey but as we'll ex- uh, as we'll discuss He's a bit of a shit character. Exactly. And because so much of this episode does um, hinge on Adam as a character and because he is so, so broadly drawn and and so underdeveloped, uh, it it makes the whole episode feel broadly drawn and underdeveloped. And and obviously that's not just about Adam. There's there's a lot of other elements that do exhibit the same problems that Adam does, but it, it kind of all starts with Adam. And an interesting little bit of like sort of backstory to this is that I mean, I, I can't imagine that if you're listening to this, you haven't seen the episode, but just very briefly, um, Adam joins them on the TARDIS. They take him to, uh, was it Station 5? Is that what it's called? I think so. I've actually forgotten. <laughs> yeah, something like that. They, they take him to this new station and and while he's there, you know, he sort of gets this like, you know, gleam in his eye and decides to steal Rose's time phone and try to steal future information for past profit, uh, which is 
well, rather, I should say, which should have been an interesting extension of the fact that when we first met Adam, he was working for somebody like Van Staden, which is a strange connection that's never really brought up. It's never analyzed. The doctor never thinks about the kind of person that would be working in that museum that we saw in the last episode. But that's, again, just another one of the myriad of missed opportunities that this episode doesn't take up. And so you've got this character now who is, you know, just trying to steal things for the sake of profit. When in the original uh, sort of drafts of this episode, there was a lot more nuance to Adam in that the reason he wanted to make money off of future information is because his father was dying, I believe. Mm, mm-hmm. And so that gives him some, at least some moral shading. It, it adds dimensions to an episode that is you know, very just um, not at all concerned with the gray area of any of the questions that it raises. It's not. The reason I think, well, I mean, this hasn't been written written anywhere or Russell Davies has never said this, but I think the reason why that particular plot line was dropped was because of the episode that's going to follow this one, Father's Day, which has a very similar setup with Rose saving her own father. And it would look, it would be a bad look for the Doctor if they were to quite explicitly say, what's good for one companion isn't good for the other. This episode's trying to make an argument in the very, in its DNA. It's trying to make an argument about how some people are suited to TARDIS life and some people aren't. And personally, I just feel like that's a very flawed motive to write an episode. You don't need to introduce a character and kick them around just to prove how good the current companion is. It feels quite mean-spirited. And I'm surprised that I'm only realising this or having this feeling now um, when at the time I was like, yeah, Adam, you suck. Bye. The Doctor and Rose are going to go off and have a good time and you can just stay here on Earth like a little piece of... Um, that's not... That's very childish. But, <laughs> but that explains like how I was feeling at the time as opposed to now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a very childish episode. It's... Um... <clears throat> you know, I thought Van Staten was a, a poorly drawn parody of a real social issue. And unfortunately, that trend just continues right through here as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that the Van Staten villain, I, I'm using air quotes, obviously you can't see that. Um, the villainness <laughs> of Van Staten absolutely extends here with the Jagrafess, where the Jagrafess and the editor very much set up as villains with no purpose absolutely no purpose or motive or anything. They are just there as pure plot functions. And that's a Mm. big problem. But let's start. Do you want to start by discussing the plot of the episode a little bit? Yeah. So, well, the thing about the long games plot is that there isn't much there. There there is a series of events that happens and characters do things and say things and function. (laughs) Um, But I'm not sure that I would call it so much a plot. Uh, So, yeah, like we've obviously been over what Adam's doing on the station. Um, Meanwhile, the Doctor and Rose are investigating the mysteries of, of the entire station, which ostensibly seems to operate as all the news in the human empire. (laughs) Yeah, I was a little bit unsure as well on that element. And that's not the first time you're going to hear that. I think that this station houses all of the news stations of planet Earth or the human empire, um, as they're calling themselves now. And all of the journalists and all of the workers and everyone live, eat, sleep on this station. Now, that's an interesting idea. But the process of news gathering is just so frustratingly obscure and weird here. I I don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because we get one of our supporting characters is uh, Christine Adams playing Kathika Santini Cadini? Cadini. 
Kadani, right. And so she's got this like uh, computer chip spike in the front of her head that opens up and reveals her brain in a a pretty cool sci-fi idea, I suppose. I don't know. I'm neither here nor there on it. And um, the idea is that some of the journalists have this front brain pocket thing and they sit in a chair and they get all of the like collective feed of information beamed into their head. But then there's a a throwaway line of dialogue where the doctor says she couldn't possibly remember all of it. She'll forget it as soon as the thing stops. And so I just don't know what is actually happening. Mm. And I think there's in that same scene, the doctor says her brain is the computer. So I'm kind of rationalizing it in my mind as that the humans in a very like snow piercer kind of way, human beings have become part of the machinery as opposed Mm. to actual critical thinkers in the news gathering process. Now that's an interesting idea and a very interesting metaphor for how Russell T Davies views journalists and, and, and people who work in news media as very much just cogs as opposed to, as I said before, critical thinkers, but that point is never made. And it's not me like, it's not me missing something. It's definitely not made. No, it's like, it's sub, sub, subtext at mm. this point. You know, that's, uh, I mean, and if you look at the time that this episode aired, like 2005, you're sort of in the midst of the um, the war on terror and whatnot. And I mean, even now through a, a very modern lens, like we're, we're looking at things now, like, you know, more fake news and sort of the uh, spreading of misinformation and whatnot. And so in theory, this episode should be more relevant than it's ever been, but because it so loosely defines the, the function of its world, how the misinformation spreads, what these journalists are even doing, why you need 500 floors of them. There's just so many weird potholes in the world building that the, metaphors and the themes aren't allowed to flourish because you're constantly stumbling on the foundations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's that line at the start where the doctor says that this universe, this world has, you know, great culture and fine cuisine and all this stuff. And then all of the food vendors open up and it's just a trashy Blade Runner-esque kind of world. That's really the only indication we get of what this society looks and feels like because the whole episode pivots around um, the fact that humanity has been stunted by what's going on on satellite five you have to just assume that the doctor is right in saying that humanity has been stunted because we never see any evidence of how or why not how not why sorry but just how that's taken place and what that looks like it it's so it's so (laughs) ill-defined i'm I'm exactly struggling here I I know, I I fully understand because Russell T Davies with this episode is essentially saying, you know, let's have a a deconstruction of how misinformation and corrupt news networks can cause issues like racism and cultural uh, stagnation through the lens of a food court. Exactly. All we ever see of this world is a food court. We like it. It'd be something else if we saw, you know, newsrooms. Like, I mean, yeah, we do get mm. that, sh- like those couple of scenes with Adam in the medical bay. But that is such a, a nothing space where nothing is happening anyway. That all you've really got to go on is this, like you said, this Blade Runner esque food court and what's going on on floor five hundred, which is a completely different thing in and of itself. It's it's such mm. a again, which like I'm. I almost want to apologize to the listeners because I feel like we're going to be coming back to the same complaint every time, but it does all come back to the fact that this is so loosely defined that you've got nothing to grab onto. Yeah. And it didn't need to be like that because um, when I was watching it, I was thinking of a classic episode, the Ark in space, which is a favorite of, I think Russell T Davies actually. 
Um, and that episode has a lot to say about Earth and the world. In that episode, um, the arc is a it houses the last survivors of the human race after a disaster. And that episode, by the the little moments that it drops and the little tidbits of information, you get a picture of how that world was, what that world was like, what they're running from um, and where they're going, how the society functions. And that sort of happens here with all of the, there's that particular scene where Kathika points to all the different news feeds and, and says what's happening. But it's, it, there isn't enough time to let those things land and settle and create a picture of that universe. It's just like, bang, bang, bang. Here's some news. This is what life is like. Aliens are weird. On to the next, onto the plot. I, I guess, yeah, I'm just, uh, that's my, would be like a main criticism is just that nothing is given the time or uh, nuance. Oh, I hate that word, but the nuance to, to land properly. And I was thinking about it when we were revisiting the episode after we'd both watched it. Um, and there's that great exchange where the doctor asks Kathika why there aren't any aliens on Satellite 5. And she lists off all these reasons about, you know, space lane travel's been uh, limited and there's been disasters here and there. And and he says, you know, this all adds up to one great big fact and you can't see it. And that's a great piece of writing. And that is so fantastic in depicting, like, how this this world has become kind of stunted. But it just, I don't want this argument to just to sum up to, it doesn't feel right, but it doesn't feel right. <laughs> I think that we'd both agree that, and I know I come back to this term a lot, and so I'm sorry <laughs> to the listeners, but again, all of the pieces are on the board, you know, mm. um, but this time it's not even that the game isn't being played right, it's just the game isn't being played, there's nothing going on, it's just, he's set up all of these like sort of dominoes, and then just been like, that's a metaphor, <laughs> and walked away from it, you know, there's mm. there's no real oomph to anything that's going on, because it is... It's just so, and I do think this comes back to how light it is on the character work, because I think that, you know, the world building can be loose and can be not well-defined. Like I can forgive a lot of that stuff. It's that Doctor Who hand wavy away type um, situation. Mm. I can forgive all of that if we are getting more of an insight into the Doctor or into Rose, or if Adam is providing an interesting foil to the Doctor or to Rose. But the episode kind of trips over itself to paint the Doctor and Rose's relationship as oddly romantically coded and cutesy and Adam is cartoonishly sort of corrupt. The editor, played by Simon Pegg, who is doing his absolute best with a very cheesy role, Mm. is a Saturday morning cartoon villain. You've got the, what is it called? The the flesh monster? uh, Let's see if I can get this right. Um... The Mighty Jagrafess of the Holy Hadrogesic Max Aradinfo. Or Max. Or Max. <laughs> um, yeah, so you got, and, and Max is just, he, I mean, he's, like I said, he's just a giant flesh monster. There's no motivation to that. There's nothing interesting going on. And so because of all of those factors combined with the bad world building, uh, again, it's just, it's just a bit of a nothing. But I do want to focus on what's going on with Rose in this episode. Yeah, what is going on with Rose in this episode? There are some choices being made. It's unfortunate because I do feel like we've spent a disproportionate amount of time on this podcast sort of... Uh, it, it's almost like you, you listeners have been given a front row seat to our slow, gradual uh, disillusionment with what we thought Rose was as a companion. Because I think everybody looks back on Rose with this incredible amount of nostalgia and love. And a lot of that comes down to Billy Piper's performance and where things go in future seasons, maybe. But this first season of Rose has just been 
up and down, up and down. The characterization, and again, this is something I keep bringing up, they need her to be simultaneously sort of like every woman trope. And so because of that, she then ping-pongs around and becomes a different character based on what they need for that particular episode. And it's unfortunate that, you know, in the last episode, aside from the fact that she never really confronts the Doctor about the situation he puts her in, she's very much the Rose that we know and love. And then this episode, she is just there to be flirted with, I guess? Yeah. I had a thought about it. I had a think about it, sorry, I should say. And I was interested in the idea that Rose maybe in this episode functions as a kind of doctor surrogate because there's that scene at the start where the doctor talks like he's talking her through how to um, describe this earth to, to Adam. And she is like very clearly embodying the doctor role when he steps out of the TARDIS. So I was like, okay, so they're trying to do a thing where Rose is actually um, the doctor and Adam is the companion and like that kind of relationship. But then like, that lasts for what a minute, like not very long. He collapses on the floor and the doctor's like, Oh, I guess, you know, your boyfriend's not up to scratch. And she's like, he's not my boyfriend. And it just like Mm. everything that, that the previous episode had set up and everything that that beginning had set up suddenly just devolves dissolves. And then Adam's saying, Oh, I can't get between you and the doctor. You know, you're just too tight. And you're like, why did you even bother setting up all of this stuff? If you're just going to, sweep it aside for what is the actual purpose of Adam being there in the first place. I guess what I'm saying is like, if your motivation for Adam being there is to play as the bad companion is to play as the reason why Rose is this pinnacle of companionness. Um, I guess I just, I would appreciate it if the episode started with that intention in mind, but you get all this weird Dr. Rose, um, Adam triangle thing happening. And then Adam goes off and, and becomes the function that he needs to be. Um, mm. It just, yeah, it feels, it doesn't feel, it's not that it's, it feels like a wasted opportunity. It just feels like a false start, basically. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's, again, it's frustrating because it does, like you said, it for that first minute of the episode, when Rose gets out of the TARDIS and the doctor gives her the little rundown so that she can give him the rundown, you're like, oh, this is cute. This is charming. Rose is like, you know, she's she's getting it on she's doing what rose wants to do and despite the fact that you know again it's just another episode that completely ignores mickey's existence which oh i didn't even think about that exactly and then it makes you really think you think about that line that adam has later where he says you know oh it'll take a better man than me to get between the two of you which is implying that again well i guess mickey's not a better man either like it's it Mm -hmm. i don't know there's something going on there that's not right it makes me think of the line later on in the episode where the doc, where it's revealed that Adam has through the episode, um, gotten a gotten surgery on his head so he can integrate with the computer and learn all this information and then broadcast it back to his time in the past from that perspective. Um, and the doctor just goes, Oh, you and your boyfriends. And Oh, I just hate that so much. The machismo of the doctor and his like, not hatred, but just like disregard of other males when he's trying to show off to the, to a female companion is gross. Oh, it makes my skin crawl. <laughs> it's, it's very unpleasant, isn't it? Like to, to go back what you, to what you were talking about with using the uh, Rose as the doctor surrogate and Adam as the companion surrogate. I do think we get 
a interesting look at what that could be in uh, the Flatline episode where Clara essentially does have to become the Doctor because it removes the Doctor from the story and it allows that kind of dynamic to unfold. And that definitely works into Clara's overall character development that's going on in that season. But it still would have been like a cute thing to do here to maybe have the Doctor be like, hey, look, I don't particularly have any interest at hanging out on a fast food station full of humans. So if you guys just want to go off and have your fun and then he removes himself from the story for a little bit, and then you do get a bit more of a chance for Rose to develop on her own outside of her relationship to the doctor, because at this point, her relationship to him is starting to take priority over her own development. And Again, there's just there's just so many opportunities that this episode could have taken to to do something a little bit more interesting, and it it, it just flubs all of them. Yeah, it does. And I don't want to I don't want to be like, oh, it should have done this because obviously that's not what happened, and we have to discuss what choices were made in this episode. But you're right in saying that it does feel like a missed opportunity. It also feels you've just when you were saying all that stuff before, I was like nodding and vigorously shaking, like I'm nodding my head. I was so enthused by what you were saying because I was imagining an alternative to that last scene where the doctor drops Adam off and is like sorry I only take the best Rose is just standing there with this smirk on her face just like "Mm, yes I guess I am the best aren't I and I was when you were just talking then I was like imagine a version of that scene where it's Rose telling Adam off because she's the one who decided to bring him on board she was the one who put her trust in him and he was the one who like betrayed that trust the doctor had no part of their relationship up until that very ending and it's 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 frustrating because if the episode wants to make a critique about how adam isn't a good companion for the doctor then it needs to make adam a companion to the doctor not this quasi romantic relationship between rose and adam that train of thought got away from me, but I guess this just is just pointing to how frustrated I am. Uh, no, you're fine. It, it's it's just a byproduct of an episode that is as unfocused as this is, in that you know, really trying to pull it apart and have a discussion about it leads to a very unfocused discussion at times. I do think we should maybe take a, a closer look at that ending scene again because I know that you've got some some thoughts. I do have thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts about Adam in general, really. Um, This is, I will say, okay, I will say, and I think I said this previously, but I'm going to state it again for effect. um, The idea of having a companion who's not up to the task of being in a companion is interesting. But in my head, I was sort of imagining how it would actually be worth to play, how it would be worthwhile to play that out. And I almost feel like, Adam as a companion, as a concept, needs a whole season to himself to really explore how a companion functions in Doctor Who and where they need to step up or where they, you know, for lack of a better word, fail. Here, and I said this before, but here, because he's only there for one episode, he does a really shitty thing. The Doctor's reaction comes across mean, Adam comes across as an idiot, and we all go away very, very unhappy with how things have gone. With a bit of time and a bit of, like, energy, it could have been it could have been a better experiment with Adam. The one thing I do like about Adam, and it's not even really about him, but the one thing I do like about this episode is the scenes he shares with the nurse. And I know that we've spoken about this and you don't share my opinion on this, but I find them genuinely hilarious. And I love Tamsin Griggs' performance in this episode. 
Uh, yeah, I, I have nothing but respect for uh, Tams and Greg. I think she's absolutely wonderful. Um, my, my, I don't dislike those scenes. Like, if it helps, they were uh, they were part of the collection of things about this episode that I was at least comfortably indifferent to. <laughs> um, sure, <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I think that she's just like wonderfully just kind of odd, um, and feels like she's she's made a choice in this episode to play up how clinical and odd the future of humanity can get. I think she's just wonderful. If we're going to be talking about the other supporting characters here, there really isn't a lot to say because there's Suki. She's sweet. She's a freedom fighter, apparently. Then there's Kathika. Ooh, she's very career focused and strong. All of these characters are just written in such broad strokes and that extends to our villains as well with the editor played by Simon Pegg, who is very much a, just a villain and has no clear motivations beyond being evil. No, that's exactly right. And I'm going to say frustrating again, but (laughs) there is something going on with a lot of these supporting characters uh, that there's so much potential for them to be interesting. Like Suki being a secret freedom fighter as part of like a, essentially a rebellion is inherently interesting, but there's just nothing done with it. You know, she gets caught up to the 500th floor, which of course, of course, in a, in a classic sci-fi trope, we find out that the promised land that people never come back from is secretly killing them. <laughs> what? Who could have seen that coming, folks? Uh, so she gets caught up there and, you know, it pulls out a gun and, you know, pulls a gun on the editor and she just kind of... It's a character that is simultaneously written to be damseled and killed while having a military background and is there to stop what they're doing. It makes absolutely no sense at all that she has to serve both functions. Uh, and so it leaves her feeling quite frustrating and underdeveloped. Kathika, like you said, she's she's the strong-headed, independent woman. She's, like, I, th- I think she has some decent moments. I think it's a, a decent performance. Mm-hmm. There's good chemistry between her and the Doctor. And I do like the only interesting part that I enjoyed with her was, you know, when she catches on to the fact that the doctor isn't uh, part of maintenance or whatever. And her first instinct is to just be like, look, I don't mind that I've helped you out, but just leave me out of whatever it is that you're doing. I think that that is a very interesting sort of apathy to, um, you know, potential corruption or, or misdeeds. And I, I, again, I just wish that had been further developed instead of what we get with her, which is to its credit, not the death that I was expecting uh, when mm. she goes upstairs and she sort of saves the day because, uh, because of course, you know, it just takes one cattle who thinks for themselves to save the day. Like you, like, you know, even if we hadn't described to you the plot of this episode, you know, the plot of this episode, mm. it's every story you've ever heard. Um, and so to its credit, I'm glad that she doesn't die in service of uh, once again, saving the doctor, because I feel like we've had enough strong women die to save the doctor at this point oh, in this yeah. season. But uh, again, this is just like, these are the most sort of like surface level uh, sort of um, uh, ticks in, in the, in the episodes boxes. There's, there's just so little to actually dive into here. And the, to your point, the editor is an, an, in, uh, an interesting manifestation of that problem. Uh, he is. I just want to go back to Kathika quickly. Cause you just made me think of something, which is what it's a very interesting read of her to say that when she discovers the doctor's not part of management and he's uh there to shake things up her first reaction is just to go you know don't implicate me i don't care and well not that i don't no that i don't care you know i'm just i'm here to do my job and i'm here to get promoted like there's so much emphasis put around her 
wanting to be promoted, wanting to attain like the highest of her career goals. And then it all circles back with that line when she's reversing the air conditioning ducts to overheat and blow up the Jagrafess. And she says, you should have promoted me years back. And I feel like that line is very dumb. But now in, in what, in, with the interpretation you brought to that character, I'm reconsidering that line as uh, just her doubling down basically on her career goals and saying, you know, you should have promoted me years back because look how fucking powerful I am. I don't think that's what is actually intended, but I like, I like thinking about it like that now. It's just a really muddy moment because you're like, okay, so I'm glad that the motivation for the hero human stepping up was not to better the human race, but just spite for her management. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's funny. It's it's funny and it's um, a little bit subversive where the episode isn't subversive. Yeah, I, yeah. And the only other part, I, I wouldn't even call this subversive. I would just say that there is a moment with the editor, which feels <laughs> oddly like it could be ripped straight out of a 2020 script for Doctor Who, hmm. where... And, and, you know, you reference it at the start of this episode when he says, you know, like, oh, I, I, I'm not going to get a, a debate out of you or anything. And the doctor just says no. And that feels so, you know, Twitter, YouTube culture of, of this current, of our, our current present day problems in that, you know, it's the deba- debate me kind of bro meme. Um, and so I, I really loved that one little moment. And I just wish there had been more of that kind of um, like self-aware humor about the kind of evil that he is throughout the rest of his performance, because mm-hmm. the rest of it is just, it's just a bit of a nothing. He's, I, I, we don't really know what him and the, the Jagrafess's motivation is for setting humanity back. We don't know, like the doctor doesn't inquire about the, the quote unquote consortium of banks that's bankrolling this endeavor it's just again it all, it all it all just comes back to the fact that this is so loosely defined that it's very difficult for us to really pull this one apart loosely defined and also just not willing to interrogate its cliches very much like as we said before the doctor not doctor sorry the editor and the jagrafess are evil because there needs to be a villain not because they have a desire to do anything villainous um, or motivated by any particular goal or objective. And that feels, because so much of this episode is structured around the the news media and the big metaphor that Satellite 5 is representing, the Jagrafest and the editor are also subsumed by that same metaphoric kind of structure. But they don't need to be because if there had been, if there had just been like a small little inkling of what their actual ultimate plan was, it would have made everything else surrounding the news media plotline just sing a little bit better. And I was also thinking about the the moment where Adam like pulls, like he's in the chair and the key comes out and the editor's like, oh, time travel. We can harness time travel and we can erase the human race and all this stuff. And I was just like, so was that your goal? Like, what do you actually want? What do you want? Yeah, that was that moment where I was like, what? <laughs> like, you can't run a corrupt empire if you don't have citizens to corrupt. You know what I mean? Like, you, there's just no internal logic to what's going on here. No. And the consortium of banks thing, if there was some money involved or there was some greed element to what they were doing... That would make sense. But the, it seems like they're just stunting humanity's development for fun and yeah, <laughs> nothing more. 
And can I ask, because I don't have a clear memory of, like, I obviously know that Station 5, is it called Station 5? I, I feel it, like we should. It's Satellite 5. It's definitely Satellite 5. Satellite 5. That's yes. it. I don't have a, a, a clear memory of how Satellite 5 comes into play in the finale, but is there at least an attempt to retroactively sort of say, this is why the Daleks were bankrolling Station 5? No. <laughs> it's... <laughs> The finale, spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know, um, the finale has the Doctor and his companions return to Satellite 5, uh, I think 100 years in the future, and they find yeah. that humanity's actually been stunted even further and that the people behind the original Satellite's uh, intentions was the Daleks. Um, I th- We can get into that in the finale, but I think there is some motivation given for why they want Earth, but it doesn't tie back to the long game very well. Okay. But that's okay. just my recollection. We could actually watch those episodes and find that it does tie up nicely. Yeah, Simon Pegg shows up. <laughs> <laughs> Same as Tim Shaw showing up. Oh, oh Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> but look, there are some positives. I think there's one thing that I, if there's one thing I do feel quite positive about, it's the general direction of the episode. Um, I, I know that you mentioned the Floor 500 reveal is like, it's very cliched and it is, it totally is. But I do quite like that scene with the elevator doors open up and you see a frosty, like derelict kind of upper level. I felt like that was just a nice image. And there, there are so many like nice little neat tricks in the camera work from the director, Bryant Grant here. And there are two moments that stand out for me, which is the, the, the pivot and swivel on Suki's gun when she pulls the gun out in the editor and it, and it tracks along her arm and then pivots on the gun and then swivels around to show the editor. It's just like, it's, it's neat and interesting to look at. The other one that I quite liked, and I only realized it on um, rewatching it this time um, is there's a line where the doctor is, he's fiddling around with the stage with the satellites internal mechanism. And he looks up at the security camera and you see the security camera feed and it, it's the doctor looking directly into it. And he says, someone up there must like me. And then it cuts to the editor and he's looking directly into the camera, um, which immediately made me set up. Cause I was like, if you're going to make your characters look into, look directly into camera, <laughs> there's gotta be a reason. And then that cuts to the nurse and Adam looking directly into camera, supposedly into a mirror, I suppose, looking at the, the hole in his head that's about to pop open. Again, these aren't, I, I, I was trying to think about how they reflect back on the episode and the themes and the plot and don't think they do. But they're still neat. They're still nice. That's all I can say is it's neat. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. I do think in general the camera work is is quite solid. You're right. The moment that Suki gets up to floor 500 um, onwards, you get that nice little stretch where there's no dialogue, there's very little music. It's just her kind of walking around this really creepy winter wasteland kind of thing. Um, and that's really cool. You know, it's, 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 it's the same thing with the Blade Runner aesthetics in the, the um, food markets and whatnot. It's, it's cool... <laughs> that's it <laughs> <laughs> it's cool but that's it yeah um and i guess you could say that for most of the episode like you know it's a cool idea to present a satire of like the news media but it's not really developed it doesn't go much beyond being just a cool idea well it's, it's barely even a satire though like it's basically just them <laughs> like staring into the camera and being like the news is corrupt 
like a it's like all right thanks russell like i i couldn't have figured that one out for myself and but when we did our pre-show chat you know you brought up a really interesting point that for some younger viewers this might have been sort of like baby's first introduction into um social commentary and through that lens Mm. i get it I, i i can vibe with that um what, what I find frustrating, though, about um, that kind of defense of, of when Doctor Who does stumble the way that it's stumbling in this episode is that I think it inherently um, undervalues the intelligence of younger viewers. And I know that because Doctor Who can respect the intelligence of, of a younger audience, can show them things with a bit more teeth and a bit more sort of like meat on the bone. It's not afraid to go there sometimes. And so it's just strange when there are other times when it says, you know, farting aliens or like someone who looks like Mr. Freeze is sort of our, our representation of a, a, a complex social issue. So uh, yeah, I think mm. it's hard as in the right place. I don't hate the episode, but I just, I also feel nothing for it. Uh, yeah, that's right. And I, um, I would take back my earlier um, assertion actually based on what you told me when we discussed yesterday and I had a bit of a think about it and yeah. I don't think it's an incorrect assertion though. Like I do think that there is definitely a place for lighter hitting media that does serve as an intro into much more complex ideas, especially for a younger audience or for a family orientated show. Um, it, it does have its role in things. It's mm. just, it also, it doesn't mean that it has to be this underwritten. No. And I was sort of trying to think of ways in which that problem could be rectified. And I think it really just stems, it just comes down to the Jagrafess and the editor and the unsatisfying way that the villains are pulled into the main plot. If it had been that through news media, the Jagrafess was hoping to, you know, start a war, that would have been very timely and a very, 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 very um, present in the minds of a lot of viewers at the time and still today, it would have felt real. Um, but because the satire doesn't extend further than I'm a satire, uh, you just it it it's just super unsatisfying. That's it. That's it. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about regarding the long game, or are we wrapping this one up? Um, I think if I was going to mention anything in the positives, I would say I like Chris Freckleston's performance here. I think he, he, he gets a lot of lighter moments. He gets a lot of jokes. Um, he gets to show off a bit more levity in this episode, um, which is nice considering how dark and brooding his character generally is. Um, I'd agree with that. I, I also think it's a nice return to the doctor that we saw in the unquiet dead, where he's a little bit more observational and a bit more in the background of some scenes. And I do think Christopher Eccleston has a particular uh, talent at fading into the background. And then when you do finally notice him, you see that there's like a whole world playing out on his face because he's the one properly processing and absorbing the information around him. So yeah, I, I do think he did an all right job here. And uh, the same goes for Billy Piper. She's, you know, being her usual charming, goofy self. Um, they show off. There's a great moment, actually, now I'm thinking about it. There's a great moment where they both step into the elevator and the doctor says, look, it's like, it's just you and me. And she goes, yep. And he goes, yep. And she goes, yep. And they just grin at each other. And I was like, ah, that's why you're best friends. Forget Adam. Why do you need to bring Adam into this equation to show why they're best friends? This scene just shows that without any of that. Yeah. I agree. Hmm. I could have done with the, without them holding hands, but 
There was, it's funny you say that because there was a rule in the eighties where the producer at the time, John Nathan Turner was like, Hmm, we can't have the doctor and companions touch at all because it will imply that they're having sex. Look, to be fair though, in his defense, a modern who has been very preoccupied with the implication that there wants to be some sex. So, (laughs) so maybe he was right all along. Maybe he was. Maybe he was. I'm certainly glad that Tom Baker and Sarah Jane Smith never stared longingly at each other in an elevator. I'll say that much. It would have been a very different show. I almost don't want to entertain the thought. Let's not go down that. Let's bury that one in the old vault. (laughs) (laughs) Please. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add, James? Uh, Nope. That's pretty much me done for the long game. Just, it is what it is, folks. (laughs) It is what it is. James... What do you grade the long game? The long game gets a very long C from me. Mm. I'm going to be slightly more generous and give it a C plus. Yep, that's fair. Only because that's my modus operandi is to be extremely positive or extremely negative (laughs) as the case may be. Whichever one we need for a certain week, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And that, folks, was the long game. And my wasn't it long. It was. I'm surprised that we uh, actually got that much of a conversation out of an episode that I thought we were only going to get 20 minutes of chatter out of. So. Yeah, there were points where I thought I was going to have to draw conversation out of you because you were just not wanting to engage with this episode. Uh, look, that's that's a very fair um, assessment of what happened. When we talked about recording, I was like, I like, can we just talk about Broadchurch this week? <laughs> <laughs> because we've been watching... Broadchurch for context to everyone. We have, yeah. Um, I, I do think it's it's. I know it is worth noting. Like, I wanted to get more of a understanding of Chris Chibnall as a writer, and so um, I'd only heard the best things about Broadchurch, and so CJ convinced me to go back and and give it a try. And I've since finished Broadchurch, and that might be something that we do talk about in a future episode, maybe a little bonus on the end of something, uh, because yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about there, and Chibnall is. A consistently interesting writer. I'll, I'll say that much. That was very diplomatic of you, James. Well done. <laughs> yes, he is a consistently interesting writer and Broadchurch definitely offers a window into his writing of uh, uh, the current iteration of Doctor Who. But we can get... Well, I think we'll get into that maybe later on when we do discuss what's happening with Doctor Who in greater detail. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. We are, like, we are very excited to record our thoughts on season 12 before the special. I I know that we've brought that up a couple of times now. It's because, like, we are kind of brimming with with excitement to get to that point because there's so much to say and so much to pull apart with the current era of Doctor Who that um, I thought we're going to have a lot of fun with it. But until that point... (laughs) Um, as always, uh, we want to thank you folks for taking the time to listen to us. We really appreciate it. If you could leave a positive review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to us on, that would be much appreciated, of course. And if you want to keep the conversation going, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Two Hearts Pod. That's two with the number two. But if you want to send us uh, long form long form thoughts or questions for us to read out on the show, you can email us at Two Hearts Podcast at gmail.com. and that is two spelled out as two. I definitely clarified that last part for Miss Carly. Yes, Carly Ray Jepsen, thank you so much for staying through this whole episode with us, and we can't wait to hear from you. We're very excited. Very excited about that. Uh, as always, I have been one of your hosts, James. You can reach out to me on Twitter at, at @omgmorejames, and I have been your other host, CJ. And you can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at cjmclean_ underscore.
Fantastic. We will see you folks next week for Father's Day, which, again, very excited about. Super excited. This is one of those classics that I mentioned this episode pales in comparison to. Um, I'm so excited to talk about Father's Day, but that will have to wait until next week. It will. So we'll talk to you folks then. Have a good one. See ya. See ya.